Amen. Well, it is good to see everyone here, and it is a little bit fuller than I expected, given everyone who is out, so it's good to see a full house. Let's turn over to the book of Hebrews, and we'll turn to chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's good to see Ben Sobek back there. Wasn't sure if my eyes were deceiving me here, but I saw him during Sunday school, and then see him again, so it's good to see Ben. All right, Hebrews chapter 12, read the first three verses here, this will be our text for this morning. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. All right, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another chance to come in and to learn from your word. I pray that we approach it not flippantly, um, but Lord, with a sense of reverence, with a sense of awe, it is, it is your word, it is alive, and it is uh, very applicable for us this, uh, this morning, as it was thousands of years ago when it was penned. And Lord, I pray that we take that approach every time we open your word, and Lord, that we will let your spirit speak through your word and uh, change us to what you need us to be. And again, Lord, I pray if there's one in here who is lost, who has never accepted you, as their Savior, Lord, I pray that uh, you show them the great need that they have, that they are under condemnation, uh, that your wrath is still abiding upon them, Lord, and I pray that you um, draw them to you, and Lord, uh, they put their faith and trust completely in you and, and your work on the cross, and uh, Lord, we pray we will praise uh, praise you for that, Lord, and I uh, pray that uh, you just work in a great way, whatever the need might be, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alright. Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses especially, but also of course the third verse as well. Very familiar portion of scripture to us. Um, it's a life verse of many Christians, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And, uh, and it's one of the passages, probably the most famous passage in the Bible, where the Christian life is compared to a race. You'll see it mentioned several times, especially in the New Testament, but this one is probably the most famous. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, a race is a bit of an exhausting ordeal. Uh, it's a very physically exhausting, the exhausting nature, uh, really, of running is... One of, the prime, one of the reasons that most people don't have that as part of their daily routine. It's hard to run. It is exhausting. It's physically draining to run. You will not find me at any part during my daily routine running. Um, I, uh, I, I heard someone say it, and I, I definitely steal it for myself. He says, I'm allergic to running. When I run, I get shortness of breath, I start sweating, and my legs feel weak, and my lungs feel like they start to hurt as well. So I'm allergic, clearly allergic to running. And so it is an exhausting thing to do. It's a hard thing to do, to run, especially running a race, um, especially a longer race like a marathon. Has any in here, anyone in here run a marathon? 
half marathon. Maybe I think I saw a hand. Uh, all right, what, what do you get? Well, someone's run a marathon. You know, marathon. Any half marathons in here? Yes, a few. Yep. There's there's a few in here. Um, my hat's off to you. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's hard to do. It's something you have to train up to, um, and you have to you have to prepare for it. Yeah, and yes, it has to. It changes how you live your life. Um, you can't just eat fast food and junk food um, all the time. It changes everything about your life because it's something hard to do. Now, as physically draining as a race is here in the physical life, the spiritual life, the spiritual race is even more exhausting. It is even more draining. Um, it has an effect, of, well, obviously, on your spirit, but it affects your, phys- your flesh as well. Um, when you're going through hard times in the spiritual life, it affects your body as well, your flesh as well. In our text here this morning, we're going to be out of verse 3 here primarily, but you see the exhausting nature of a race. Um, again, we're looking at, at this from the spiritual sense. But we see it mentioned in, in all three verses. In verse 1, you see we are to run with patience. That word patience means endurance. We're to have some endurance. We're to endure some things while we're running this Christian race. Christ, the Bible says, endured the cross in verse 2. That is to remain, to undergo, to persevere. It was a hard thing to do. Obviously, we know, being crucified... Um, but it was a hard thing to do, but he endured the cross. And then in verse 3, we see another aspect of how a race is tiring. is we are to consider Christ, and then the last phrase, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Of course, weary to be tired, and then to faint is an interesting word. It means to relax. Um, and this is, this is the definition, and most of the times you'll see the word faint in the New Testament. To relax, of course, when you faint, you're extremely relaxed. Um, you're unconscious. Uh, but, and so it has that aspect. Sometimes we, do, we faint unwillingly, and then sometimes we faint. Sometimes we're like, oh, it's, too, it's getting too tired. I'm growing faint. I just need to relax. And so we take a break spiritually. And again, one of the primary reasons we fail in our Christian life is weariness. We get tired. It's hard to do the right thing over and over and over again. It is difficult. It is draining to our spiritual life. Oftentimes we get too tired of fighting against the flesh, of fighting against the world, so we just give in. We have grown weary. We have grown faint. And so we're no longer able to run the race. And so it's like we put our our race on pause. And we just lay down on the side of the track and we relax. We take a break. take a breather. Again, sometimes it is difficult. That's one of the reasons we, we fail in our Christian life is just through weariness. But the focus of this message is one that I hope will strengthen you for your spiritual race. And that's because the Bible tells us That is exactly what it does. And that is found in verse 3, we must consider Christ. Verse 3, For for consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The antidote to weariness in the spiritual life is to consider Christ. If we fail to consider Christ, weariness 
is going to happen. It's inevitable. We're not going to, be, to stave it off for very long. We will become weary. We will faint in our minds if we fail to consider Christ. Now, Hebrews, the entire book, is really a case study of considering Christ and showing how Christ is better than anything else we have. And our text really shows us how impactful it is to consider Christ, to meditate on Christ. Now, how often do we pause to do so? To truly consider, to estimate is what that word means, to see what value is here in Christ. What can it do for us? How often do we do that? We get up, hopefully we read our Bibles, hopefully we pray, but that's really just scratching the surface of having a a close walk with God, of having a, a true devotional in our life. We must stop, we must meditate, we must consider Christ. Again, a contemplation upon Christ will strengthen us. Regardless of what obstacle we are facing, considering Christ will give us the strength we need to make it through those obstacles. Are we going to consider Him? Now, this message will highlight several areas that, in life that we all will face. And these areas can be extremely draining to our spiritual strength. And we'll, we'll look at these areas and we'll see how, how a consideration of Christ will help us maintain that spiritual strength to get, it through, get us through these trials that we face. So we're going to look at several different things here um, that we will face again. We all will face it. They're all going to affect us in our spiritual walk and our spiritual race. And so we'll look at, look at these things and then see how Christ handled these and, and how he provided the, the example as well as the encouragement for us to follow. And so that will help, hopefully help us, that will help us when we consider him properly. It will give us the strength that we need uh, so that we do not grow weary. So the first point we're going to look at is when we are wronged. When we are personally wronged, consider Christ. Let's look to, at Luke chapter 23. Luke 23. Luke 23 deals with the, res- the uh, crucifixion of Christ. And again, it, we all have been wronged in the past. We've been slandered in the past. We've, people have done the, bad things to us in the past. We may be going through it right now. If not, we're going to encounter it in the future. We will be wronged. We're living in a sin-cursed earth. We're dwelling among sin-cursed People, this church is made up of sinners. You will be wronged by a member of this church, most likely. It's just going to happen. We're not perfect. So we need to, first of all, to know that it's going to happen will help us prepare for it. But we look at, we need to consider Christ, first of all. Luke 23, verse 34. As he's being nailed to the cross, as he's being crucified... Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. You don't get more wronged in your life than being unjustly condemned to die. And that's what Christ was. He was delivered up out of envy. Pilate delivered him to be crucified out of uh, self-preservation. 
so that he wouldn't be uh, fired from his governorship. And, he, and Christ was unjustly condemned. But what was Christ's response when he was wronged? He had a prayer to God that God would forgive the sin that they were committing. Directly of the soldiers, indirectly we could say of the priests, of everyone involved in the condemnation and the crucifixion of Christ, Christ was asking the Father to forgive them. He offered, he, we know He offers them His forgiveness. Christ, when wronged, forgave. And how often have we been wronged and we do not forgive? We fail to forgive. And though we're not really looking to hold a grudge, we're not seeking to hold a grudge or to grow bitter, but when that wrong remains unforgiven in our life, when we refuse to forgive another, it's just going to drag us down. It's going to be one of those weights as we're running a race. You don't run a race in, in bunny boots. It's too heavy. But sometimes we strap on these weights it's like we're running with bunny boots and we've got all our winter gear on and we're trying to run a race. There's too much weight. And one of those things is unforgiven sin. When we refuse to forgive someone else because they did something to us. They wronged us. Now, throughout the Word of God, the need for us to forgive others is highlighted many times. Christ did it several times in, while He was here during His ministry. Let's look at one of those, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. It says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So in the relationship between a Christian and his heavenly Father. If we refuse to forgive others when they do something wrong to us, and then we try to go to the Father and say, forgive me of, of this thing, the sin that I've sinned against you, God will say, no, I'm not going to forgive that, because you are not refusing, you are not forgiving someone else. So why should I forgive you? This point is made later on in the book of Matthew as well, I believe it's chapter 18. Christ himself stated that the Christian who does not forgive will not be forgiven by God. So you'll have unforgiven sin in your own life that will drag you down. When we choose, again, it is a choice to not forgive. I will choose not to forgive this person because they made me mad. They hurt me. They wronged me. So I'm just going to keep that in place. I'm going to remember that. Consider Christ. You were not more wronged than Christ was. Oftentimes we blow up our own, wrong, our own feelings out of proportion. You were not more wronged than Christ was, but Christ chose to forgive. And we for, should forgive as well. 
Again, in forgiveness, we have great cause to consider Christ. Because He forgave us freely. Ephesians 4.32 And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving in one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You wronged Christ. You wronged God. But Christ prayed for your forgiveness. And so God has forgiven your sins as far as salvation is concerned. So how dare we try to say, I'm not going to forgive someone else. Consider Christ when you are wronged, when you are offended. Next thing, next point here. When our efforts seem fruitless, consider Christ. Let's turn to John chapter 1. When what we are doing seems to have no effect, no result, good result, consider Christ. John chapter 1, verse 11. Talking of Christ, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Now, in our life, few things are really more exhausting mentally uh, as well as physically as putting a lot of effort into something and seeing little to no results. Um, It's really frustrating. You think about if you're trying to fix something on your car and you're putting in all these hours and and it could be this, but you change that out and it's not that, so you go move on to the next thing and it could be this, so it's not that, and you move on to the next thing. You're putting in all this effort and there's no result. The problem is still there. That is exhausting. It is frustrating. And that's just one example. We have that in other areas in our life as well. We can think of a mother teaching her child, trying to, to homeschool her child. And you go over the same thing, and it seems like the child gets it, and then two days later, their mind is blank. They just stare at you. It's a little frustrating. You're like, what? You, you just had this. All this effort I'm putting in trying to help you learn this, and it seems like it's pointless. Stop getting through. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> Sorry now. <laughs> the pastor experienced this as well. You know, Pastor McGovern gets up there, he preaches, he, he, he spends hours preparing the message, he gets up there, preaches his heart out, and what do we do? Just sit there, blank look on our face. Oh, that was a good message. And we go our way and we don't even bother applying it. I can't remember it. I remember when I was a, uh, a teenager, you know, I'd have a great Sunday school lesson the next week. Brother Wright would get up and say, oh, what, what did I talk about last week? No clue, but it was, it was really good. It really helped my life. I just have no clue what it was. Uh, that's a little, little discouraging. <laughs> and so a few things really are so draining to us as when we put a bunch of effort into something and you're not seeing any results. Or seeing bare minimum results, just tiny results, baby steps. Christ experienced this when he was sent from heaven to the lost sheep of Israel. How many thousands of people heard his preaching? How many thousands of people saw his miracles? How many thousands of people experienced a changed life as a result of his healing of them or his healing of a loved one? Think about it. If you were a family member to a leper, cannot have any contact with them really at all. And then Christ comes 
and heals the leper, and the relationship is restored. Think about of a, of a cripple who can no longer provide for his family. Of a, of, a, of a son who has been lame from his birth, and the, the parents are getting up in age, and they can no longer provide for themselves like they could, and all of a sudden Christ comes, he heals the son, and now the son can take care of the parents in their old age. What a changed life because of Christ's power, because of his miracles. Yet how few recognized him as the Messiah. He came into his own and his own received him not. And even his disciples seemed a little hopeless at times. Christ, several times, are you yet without understanding? Have I been so long with you, Philip? And you not understand. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. That's right before he was crucified. It's like, Philip, you've been walking with me three years and you haven't understood it yet? Oh, his efforts they seem like a little pointless. He's not getting through the hard skulls that we have sometimes. Christ experienced this as well. And Mo, again, how taxing this is on us. How exhausting. How often do we get up and we try to live for God, but it seems like nothing ever changes? You get up, you try to live for God, you have, the, you have that right mindset, you are trying with, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and it just seems like nothing changes. Think of the children of Israel walking around Jericho. Well, this is the twelfth time in... Six days we walked around here. Uh, I don't see anything happening. There's no cracks forming in the walls. Why are we doing this again? Why, why, why are we having to walk, march around the city so many times this day? Why was it only once? Uh, why couldn't it just be once this day instead of seven times? I don't see any progress happening. Of course, we know if you continue to walk. Continue to have that faith, the walls will fall. If we continue to walk and serve God, the results will come. Thousands were saved after Christ ascended into heaven. See, Jerusalem, thousands saved. During Paul's ministry, these men that have turned the world upside down are come hither as well. The results came. But what happens when we're in the middle of it? It seems like we're stuck in the mud and we're just spinning our tires. Do we quit? Do we say it's worthless? There's no point in doing this. It's the definition of insanity. You're just doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Consider Christ when we're starting to think like that. Think of the effort Christ put in. We just get up, maybe go to work, we get up, study our Bible. Christ humbled himself, came from glory, was born of a virgin, had to learn how to walk as a baby, had to learn how to talk as a toddler, had to learn how to be a carpenter, this is the wisdom of God. Christ is the wisdom of God, but he had to, he had to learn this as, as, 
as he had put on human flesh. Think of the effort that he put in. And it seemed like so few results came. But as the Bible says, that he endured the cross. Consider Christ when your efforts for him seem pointless. Consider Christ in all that he went through. And the effort that he put in. We will not put in the effort Christ put in. But he put in, even though things seemed fruitless, he kept ministering. Kept doing God's will. Which brings us to the third point. When God's will seems too difficult, consider Christ. Matthew 26. This is Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, verse 37 is where we'll start. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he said unto them, saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if... This cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then, of course, we know they came to arrest him from there. There will be times in our life where God's will is extremely difficult for us to follow. When obeying the word of God is going to be difficult. Consider Christ. What does Christ, what does God ask of us? Does He ask us to partake of the cup of the wrath of God? No. Matter of fact, Jesus Christ died so we don't have to partake of the cup of wrath. Again, we sometimes throw ourselves a pity party because we deem God's will for us is, is too difficult. It's so difficult. Think of everything I'm going through. Man, we just came through missions conferences. Man, it was hard coming here uh, for three, four straight days, five straight days, coming into the house of God. Oh, it's difficult. Woe is me. We're commanded to stand out as light in a dark world. This means being different. And being different often means being uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable is something we would rather not be. Uh, none of us is really volunteering to be uncomfortable. Unless, of course, it's my dad. Uh, maybe. We're commanded to share the gospel. That's going to make us stand out. We are commanded to abstain from particular evils. From drinking from corrupt communication, from gambling, from immodesty, from things that we watch or things that we listen to. 
God has a clear standard of how He expects us to live. And sometimes it will be difficult. Sometimes they'll have that work party. And everyone's going to be there. And you know there's going to be alcohol. I was, when I worked at the last USA, it was always it was comical to me. I was one of the, the draws. They would ask, hey, you going to the Christmas, or this party? And I'm like, no, I'm not going. Oh, why not? There's free booze. I'm like, well, you answered your own question. Seemed like one of the draws for the lost world. So you can have all this pressure. Show up, show up, show up. Do this, do this. You're standing out. You're sticking out like a sore thumb. Why do you have your Bible laying on the desk? You're standing out. It's difficult sometimes. And our lack of participation in these particular evils exposes us to ridicule. First Peter chapter 4 talks about how the world thinks it's strange that we do not partake with them of these different things. Exposes us to ridicule. We don't like to be ridiculed. Christ never promised a bed of roses. He never said, man, you follow me, it's going to be easy. I'll pave the way, make it smooth. No, what did he say? You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me. God's will will seem too difficult sometimes for us to follow through on. He's demanding too much of me. This morning in Sunday school we talked about how God commanded Abraham to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. God, I can't believe you'd ask me to leave my family and go overseas and be a missionary to these people I've never met. It's asking too much. Is it? Is God's will too difficult? Consider Christ. Consider what He chose to do. How it was... It pleased the Father to bruise Him. We will not be asked to do what Christ was asked to do for God's will to be fulfilled. It is not too difficult for us. So when it starts to seem hard, when that cross starts to get a little heavy, consider Christ. Again, are we going to give in to the pull of the world or to the, the desires of the flesh? In a sense, telling God that His will is just too difficult for us to follow. What an affront that would be to Christ. What a mockery. said, I, I endured all this for you. And you're going to tell me that denying those co-workers is too hard. Again, think of, consider Christ, whose preparation for the cross while he was in that garden was so agonizing that he started bleeding with his sweat. Sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood. Have we ever had that kind of agonizing, any, that kind of agony in our life? Following the will of God? As Hebrews 12.4 says, You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. How much effort have we actually put in for Christ? When, Christ, when God's will for us seems too difficult, consider Christ. And, he, and Christ, properly considered, 
we'll put any pity part that we have to shame. Consider Christ when the way, when God's will seems too difficult. Next point. When temptation allures, consider Christ. Matthew 4. I'm not going to read this entire thing for time's sake, but uh, we'll just, something most of us are familiar with. uh, Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So he'll be tempted three times here. And it's a very practical uh, passage for us. And, and of course, one of the most practical applications we can take from this passage is that every time Christ is tempted by the devil, he uses the word of God to defeat the temptation. And that should be our pattern as well. That's our pattern for us to follow. But I want to peek a little bit more behind the curtain and think of Christ's motive during the temptation. Yes, Christ used the Word of God to defeat temptation, but why did He use the Word of God? Because Christ's motive was to stay true to God's Word. That was the purpose of His life. I'm going to stay true to God's Word. I'm going to make sure that my life is in line with the Word of God. If His personal purpose was to defeat temptation. Think of the power at his disposal. He could have rebuked the devil, sent him away. Number one, of course, he's given us an example to follow. But he's showing how the Word of God and how making sure that our life is in line with the Word of God is very important for defeating temptation. Because the devil used Scripture as well. The devil used Scripture as well. We see that in verse 6. For it is written, He shall give His angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Of course, we know that's taken out of context, and Christ again refused the temptation with some more scripture. But He's making sure that His, his life is in line with the Word of God. Christ gave us an example to follow. How is God going to be glorified with our life? How are we going to defeat the temptation? By staying true to the Word of God. I'm faced with this situation. Someone has has wronged me. What should I do? How does my life stay true to the Word of God? Forgiveness. I'm faced with the temptation of alcohol. How does my life stay true to the Word of God? Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I'm faced with immorality. I'm tempted with it greatly. How do I make sure my, my life stays true and is in line with the Word of God? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That you abstain from fornication. 
the Word of God, if we, if we are seeking to make our life, make sure our life is in line with the Word of God, just as Christ did when He was tempted, it gives us the answer for every temptation we face. Stay true to the Word of God. As Jesus Christ did. Yes, He could have commanded those stones to be made bread. And we would say, man, would Christ have been glorified by that? To, to take a stone and make it into bread? Man, what, what power, the power of God is being shown in that situation. But Christ said, no, that would not be staying true to God's word. That would be seeking self-glorification rather than God's glorification. That would be seeking to gratify my flesh. He was hungry. He had been fasting for 40 days. But he said, this temptation, if I do this, it is gratifying my flesh. It is not glorifying God. And so he says, I need to make sure my life is staying true to the word of God. And yes, I have a physical need here, but my spiritual need is more important. Man shall not live by bread alone. So do we seek when we are tempted to glorify God or to gratify our flesh? And we glorify our Father by staying true to His Word. By making sure that our life is in line with His Word. This is how Christ handled temptation. He says, my life, how I act, is going to be determined by the Word of God. Not by how I feel. When temptation allures, consider Christ. Next, when tragedy strikes, consider Christ. John chapter 19. All of these things that we face are going to be draining to our spiritual life, to our spiritual strength. It will greatly hinder our ability to run the race properly. If we fail to consider Christ. When tra tragedy strikes, consider Christ. John chapter 19, verse 26. Christ is hanging on the cross and he looks down and he sees his mother. When Je Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom, whom he loved, of course, John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. As Christ is in the midst of suffering, hanging on a cross in absolute agony, he still sought to do what was right to fulfill his responsibility. He is the oldest son. He is, it was his responsibility to look after his mother. And so he says, John, take care of my mother. How many of us, <laughs> if we were hanging on a cross, would be thinking about anybody, anything else outside of our pain? Outside of ourself? But Christ, in the midst of suffering, was seeking to do what was right. Again, making sure that he was in line with God's word. He knew it was his, what his responsibility was. Tragedy is one of the most draining things we can experience physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. When we go through a tragedy, it is hard to do right. 
We often see anger or despair, despondency, selfishness flare up. You have a, a parent dies and the, sibling, the, uh, the children start squabbling with each other. Selfishness. Anger appears because they are grieving. Grief. Just going through their, going through their, their body and, their, and their, their mind. It's hard to do what's right when tragedy strikes. But Christ laid an example. Even something... You know, there were other brothers. He had brothers that said, Well, I'm going to die. Well, it's just, I'll just leave it on my brothers to take care of my mom. No, he was making sure that his mom was being cared for. He was racked with pain, but he still possessed, again, the frame of mind to care for his mother. And when our mind is beset with tragedy, do we have the spiritual fortitude to still do what is right? Yes, I know my, my mom or my dad had said that I could have this, and now, my, now that they're dead, my, one of my siblings is wanting that. What's the right thing to do? To keep the relationship right? To show the love of Christ? Or to get what is rightfully yours? It's hard to do in tragedy. But Christ, again, he was focused on glorifying God. He was focused on doing what was right. Even when going through such great tragedy himself, he still did what was right. So when tragedy strikes us, consider Christ and how he handled it. We can think of Mary and Martha and how Christ, again, sought God's glorification through that as well when uh, Lazarus had died. Consider Christ. And lastly, when considering death, Consider Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 5. If we do not consider Christ, we will grow weary and faint in our minds. We will be without strength. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. This is where we'll begin. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Here's the plain truth from the Bible. Everyone will die and will be judged by God. You see that in Hebrews 9, 27. And all who are found guilty of breaking His law are sentenced to an eternity in a lake of fire. Revelation 20 tells us that. Revelation 20, verse 12 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the, in the books, according to their works. And verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Spending an eternity in hell is the default way to pay the penalty for your sins. Wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And so everyone's sin will be paid for. Whether you pay for it yourself by spending an eternity in hell, or whether you consider Christ 
and says, you're not, you don't have the strength to save yourself from that. When we were yet without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. But God loves us, again, He loves us too much to not provide a way to escape the penalty of sin. Again, Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. Then He died on the cross and God placed all the sin of all mankind upon Christ. And He paid the penalty for every man's sin. He paid that debt. So you have a a uh, like almost like a, a coupon. You can redeem this. Christ already paid the penalty for this. Are you going to accept that gift, though? Are you going to accept that that token? Or are you going to say, "Nope, I'll pay for it myself"? And you can by an eternity in the lake of fire. Doesn't seem like a very good deal. Christ became sin for us. And then he proved his power over death and hell by rising again the third day. And now everyone has a choice of who will pay the penalty for their sins. Christ or themselves. You have that choice today. If you have not already made that choice, you are faced with that choice today, that decision. Am I going to pay the penalty myself? By being thrown into a lake of fire forever and ever? Or am I going to say, no, there's, there's another option here. Christ has already paid the penalty. And all I have to do is repent and put my faith in Him. That is all that's required to accept this gift. To repent of what is condemning you. To repent of maybe what you were trusting in to get you out of that. And putting your faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ. When considering death, consider Christ. We all will die. But consider that Christ already paid the penalty for your sins. He already was judged. Why would you do that? Why would you pay your own way? Why would you pay your own penalty? When it's already been paid for. Consider Christ. Alright, well, let's go ahead and go to uh, close. Consider Him. What strength will come when we follow this command? For consider Him that endures such, great, such contradiction against, uh, of sinners against Himself, lest He be wearied and faint in your mind. Man, when we are faced with those difficult situations, whether it be tragedy, whether it be uh, temptation, whether someone has wronged us, when we consider Christ, we have the strength that we need to make it through. But if we do not, if we fail to consider Him, we will become weary. We'll fall. We will faint in our mind. Are we considering Christ today? Let's go close our eyes and bow our heads. Go into a time of invitation here. As I mentioned in that last point, there must be a time in your life when you chose the free gift of salvation. You chose that Christ pays the penalty for my sins and I don't have to pay for it myself. And if there's anyone in here who has said, I, I have never made that choice. I don't know where I'm going to go when I die. Or I'm afraid I will go to hell. 
I would like, I would like to pray for you. If there's anyone in here at all, if you could raise your hand, I'll, I'll pray for you. Yeah, not trying to embarrass anybody, but if there's, if there's never been a time when you've accepted the gift of salvation from Christ, then you're on your way to pay the penalty yourself. And I would beg you not to make that decision. Anyone at all. Alright, Christian. We're running the race whether we like it or not. We're in the race. Are we considering Christ? Or are we just, we've become too weary with the race? Too many weights dragging us down. And so we'll just sit on the side, be weary and faint in our minds. Have we considered Christ? I urge you, consider Christ when you're faced with whatever life throws at you. Consider Him. He is the answer. Lord, we love you so much. And Lord, thank you for the great encouragement and the great exhortation you have for us. And Lord, I pray that we do more of this, of considering you. Lord, your ex- the example you gave us to follow is so great. And Lord, the, the encouragement you gave us through your word and the instructions, Lord, I pray that we pause and meditate on you more and more, that we contemplate on all that you have done for us, and we consider you, Lord, and that we know that you will give us the strength to overcome when we do that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you meet the needs that are here this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. And let's turn to page 326. We'll sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The Lord's working on your heart. You come and do business here at this altar. Page 326.